And now to another major story that happened over the Christmas week. The guilty verdicts against Minnesota police officer, now former, Kim Potter. Potter is now facing the possibility of 15 years in prison when she is sentenced next month. Joining me now with Reaction, Andrew Branca, the founder of Law of Self-Defense. From start to finish, he followed the trial. Andrew, welcome. What did you make of it? Well, thanks very much for having me back, Megan. I have to say it's humbling as a small town lawyer from Colorado to follow two Olympic champions, but uh, (laughs) always happy to be on the show. Pretty cool. Uh, I I think this uh, conviction of Kim Potter on these charges was... uh, simply unjust, a miscarriage of justice on every level. Uh, And I know many people emotionally feel like, look, a bad outcome happened here. Dante Wright died. He ought not have died. Uh, So someone ought to be held accountable. But um, as a society, and and Kim Potter certainly made a mistake. There's no question about that and should be held accountable for a mistake. But our society distinguishes between negligence, civil liability for mistake and recklessness, criminal liability for having a criminal mental state for which there was zero evidence in this trial that Kim Potter ever had a criminal mental state. Mm-hmm. The It came down to, and we'll get to possible sentences in a minute, so the audience has an understanding of what Kim Potter is likely facing here, but it came down to, and one of the jurors spoke out, so, so I, this is how we know it, um, with Lou Raguse. I, I'm not familiar with Lou, my apologies, maybe that's not how you pronounce it, um, but it was a male juror, not on camera, and spoke out, asking to remain anonymous, given you know the animosity towards jurors in cases like this, and said... Um, they were divided. They were pretty much against Kim from the beginning, but there were some holdouts. They were leaning toward guilty on the second degree manslaughter, but on the first degree manslaughter, that one point they were divided four, four, and four, four guilty, four not guilty, four we don't know. And that in the end, it really came down to a couple of jurors saying, I just don't think she, she did something intentional. And you have to prove a, a conscious or intentional disregard of risk. And I don't see the intentionality. Uh, and I don't see the the conscious disregard of risk. And I guess the way they got that juror over was to to speak about, okay, maybe not a conscious disregard, but intentionality in reaching for a weapon, which she thought was her taser, in doing that understanding the risk of weapon confusion, which she testified she understood was a thing for police officers, in uh, doing that in understanding that the circumstances did not justify the use of deadly force force, which apparently Kim Potter admitted on the stand, which, you know, her lawyers had been trying to argue earlier, this would have just, this would have been a situation in which you could use deadly force. So that's how they got the jury there. Your take then on the jury saying, maybe not conscience, conscious disregard, but an intentional disregard that led to recklessness. Well, this conscious disregard of risk is required for both those criminal charges, first and second degree manslaughter. It did not exist in this case. She ought not have been convicted on either. Indeed, these charges should have been dismissed before trial. She ought not have been tried on these charges. What the prosecution effectively did was they removed from the law this requirement that she consciously disregarded a risk of death to Dante Wright. That is what manslaughter requires, reckless manslaughter in Minnesota and every other state. And the prosecution effectively told the jury on closing and rebuttal, no, that's not what's required. All that's required is that she made a mistake, that she should have known that she was making a mistake, that theoretically there was some risk. But reckless manslaughter requires that you knew there was a specific risk of the outcome that happened, the death of Dante Wright, and you consciously disregarded that risk. There wasn't even evidence that she consciously disregarded 
weapons confusion. There was no evidence that she consciously disregarded that. So what they were really arguing is, well, she should have known that she could confuse her weapons. She should have known that she might have come out with her gun instead of her taser, but should have known is the standard for negligence, not Mm. the standard for recklessness. Recklessness Mm -hmm. is not only should you have known, but you did know, in fact, in the moment and decided to do it anyway. Mm hmm. You had uh, apparently what he said, the jury, they they listened to the expert. You know, I I think it was the expert, you know, the paid expert from the prosecution who tried to say, you know, she just didn't really have self-defense available to her. She didn't have um, no force would have been uh, authorized, according to the prosecution expert. Right. This is a hired paid gun who made right. what ten thousand bucks for giving this testimony. It's amazing to me when the jury also testified out. in the Derek Chauvin trial, by the way. For the exactly. State. And th- and this is a guy who, by the way, hasn't had much of a police career behind him. No, b- briefly, mostly behind the desk fifteen years ago. Okay, so he's going to speak as you know an, a, an expert on what an officer in the moment um, is supposed to do as a guy is trying to drive away with another cop hanging half out of the car. Um, and the, and the risk to him. So the jury buys it and they disregarded why you tell me, why did they disregard the argument that you and I last spoke about last time you were on talking about this case, we're talking about how the, the defense seemed to be trying to make the case and the, uh, the fellow officers were backing it up that she could have fired her service weapon at him. She could have intentionally fired her service weapon at him. And this could have been a justified shooting given that he was almost killing a cop and driving away during an act of arrest. Yeah, it's not a bad emotional argument, but it's not a very strong legal argument because uh, the use of deadly force in defense of yourself or of others can't be an unintentional act. It has to be an intentional act. You're intentionally using deadly force to neutralize some unlawful deadly force threat to innocent people. And she did not do that. She did not use deadly force intentionally. So that fundamentally undermines that legal argument. Mm -hmm. Uh, The key legal argument here, and there's really only one, is that Kim Potter did not consciously disregard a risk of death. She made an error. She made a mistake. And frankly, she ought to be held civilly liable for that error. There's no question in my mind she committed an act of negligence. And in the civil court, she should be held liable for that. But she did not commit a criminal act on the facts of this case. Mm -hmm. I think this is the fault of Keith Ellison. I really do. I think I don't blame the jury. I think they went with what they were presented. The The law presentation was a mess. The jury instructions were a mess. I think the judge showed absolutely no courage in, in presenting a very clear, concise absolute state. failure by Judge right? Chu. It right? was despicable. The, the prosecution explicitly misstated the law to the jury in their rebuttal. And the rebuttal, folks, by the way, there's no opportunity for the defense to correct at that point. The last words the jury are going to hear are the words from the prosecution and rebuttal. And the prosecution simply misstated the law. So either uh, they misled the jury into that guilty verdict or they simply provided the jury with an excuse the jury might have been looking for to return a guilty verdict. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't feel like the jury was looking for an excuse to find her guilty. I th- in reading this guy's interview, it seems like they were genuinely searching for the right result. And they, they, he talks about how the entire time it, they were debating the law, the, the jury instructions, that there really was no factual dispute about what happened here. And therefore, right. the obligation on the lawyers and on the judge to give them crystal clear jury instructions was higher than ever, right? And I don't Absolutely. think this judge did that. And But I also think Keith Ellison never should have brought this case. He's an activist. He is a partisan hack. I'm sorry, but he is. And he made clear he wanted to go after her to make 
right sins of other people. He, this is in the wake of George Floyd. He's an activist guy. She's a white police officer. Dante Wright was a black man. And he decided to make an example out of this woman who, who in 26 years as a cop never had a smidge of misconduct on her record or even alleged against her. He decided to make an example of her for other people's sins. That's my take on it. What do you make of it? Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And frankly, much like the George Zimmerman case, if Trayvon Martin had not been killed by George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin would have been facing felony charges after that event. In this case, had Dante Wright not been killed in this encounter, he would have been facing very serious charges for his attempts to flee the police, fight the police, resist lawful arrest. But it became a political persecution the moment he died. And therefore, there was political capital to be made by people like Keith Ellison and bringing this prosecution. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And and then you have, this is crazy, it's Keith Ellison, speaking of him, so he's AG in Minnesota, so he was the one in charge of making sure this case got filed, and now has said he's going to, um, he's going to push for a departure from the sentencing guidelines. He wants it to go higher. He wants right. the judge to sentence her to more than the law requires or allows, because that's how egregious he thinks this is. But before I get to sentencing, he's talking about Dante Wright like he like, I mean, he was a Boy Scout. And look, I'm not saying Dante Wright deserved to die. He didn't. It was a mistake. It was a hideous accident. And we all saw it happen. But let's be real. He was not the, the, the perfect man with the bright, bright future ahead of him that Keith Ellison suggested in the soundbite. Um, listen, I think this is number 13 on our list. I ask us all to reflect upon the life of Dante Wright and who he could have been had he had a chance to grow up. At 20, Dante could have done anything. Maybe he could have gone into the building trades. He had his whole life in front of him. And he could have become anyone. All of us miss out on who Dante could have been. I mean, it's... Al Sharpton, of course, he spoke at Dante Wright's funeral and talked about him as the prince. He's the prince of Minnesota. And, you know, his bright future. The truth is, Dante Wright had lived his life as basically a career criminal and has been accused in death uh, through civil lawsuits in at least two or three cases of having shot somebody in the head, paralyzed another guy. He's he allegedly hurt a lot of people in his 20 years. Yeah, I mean, it's never, ever good when someone dies unnecessarily. None of us want that. And of course, the loss to his, his parents and his family is completely genuine. I mean, they lost a loved one. And nobody wanted this outcome, least of all Kim Potter, assuredly. Um, but it, and, and, and Dante Wright might have turned into anything. Who knows? But on the day he died, this was a person with a track record of a very, very bad and dangerous dude. And that's the reason why, um, you know, people were saying, look, he they didn't know that whole history when they pulled him over, but they did know that there was a warrant out for his arrest, uh, as, if I'm not mistaken, on a gun charge, Andrew. Well, after they pulled him over, they ran his name through the database and they came back with the warrant for the gun charge, the protection order for an, a woman who, for all they knew, was the woman in the car with him. Uh, so there was no way he was leaving that scene. I mean, he had to be arrested on, on those mm -hmm. facts. Mm -hmm. But they didn't acknowledge that. Um, and so now she's been found guilty on the most serious charges. And this one juror who spoke out said, I want to go and sit there for the sentencing. OK, well, um, he says, you know, I don't think it should be too high, but I don't think it should just you know, be a slap on the wrist either. Well, what should it be? Because if you look at the law, existing law for somebody like Kim Potter, who has no 
priors. She's unlike Dante, right? She had not been in trouble with the law ever. Um, It should be maybe at worst six years, seven years. You tell me. So here's Uh, something it would likely be. Yeah, Megan. So if we look at a comparable, like you might do in real estate, for example, we just had this truck driver in Colorado where I live uh, convicted, sentenced to 110 years for recklessly driving his truck with bad brakes through the mountains. He killed four people, maimed many other people. Mm. And the governor here just commuted his sentence to 10 years. Uh, And he's eligible for parole in five. And he reckless manslaughtered four people. So by that measure, Kim Potter should be eligible for parole in, what, 14 months? But that's not the sentence she's going to get. Uh, I expect the judge would give her the full 15 years. Plus, Minnesota has what they call Blakely factors, which are an upward departure from sentencing. If someone, for example, is a uniformed cop while they commit the crime, which was clearly the case here, if they endangered other people while committing the crime, which also occurred here. Derek Chauvin was essentially convicted of the same reckless killing charge, and he's looking at, while he was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison, it wouldn't surprise me if Potter received a similar sentence. Oh, my God. I mean, that will be a true travesty if they put this mother, decent cop, decent person, good cop, according to everybody who testified, other than this one incident, in jail for 20 years. She shouldn't go to jail. I I don't think she should spend any time in jail. I really don't. I think this, as you think, this is a negligence case. You don't go to jail for negligence. And even if it was reckless manslaughter, clearly it's an aberrant event. She's not a danger to the public, especially no longer a right. police officer. There's no reason to actually put her in a cage at all. Right. Well, well, the judge already rejected that, didn't she? Because uh, Kim Potter's lawyers made that argument in yeah. asking that she could remain free pending sentencing. And the judge was not sympathetic to not a danger to the community. Nope, she was not. So what do we know about this judge and her sentencing? Do we expect her to listen to the Keith Ellison lunacy of upward departure? I, you know, I don't know her reputation. I can only judge by the trial itself, which, of which I watched every minute. So I saw her performance through that. And especially when when the prosecution blatantly misrepresented the law of manslaughter to the jury in rebuttal, and she did nothing to correct that, uh, despite the defense objecting, asking for correction, asking for a mistrial. She did nothing to correct that misstatement of law to the jury. That tells me she's, uh, from my perception, she's fully in with the state on this case. Uh, And I would expect the most severe sentence that she's lawfully able to deliver to Kim Potter. Boy. So can you just expand on that? Say specifically what they said, what the prosecution said in the rebuttal um, that was wrong. And tell me whether you think it actually will be grounds for appeal, for, for a legitimate appeal. Sure. So reckless manslaughter requires the creation of a risk, an unjustified risk, and the reckless disregard, the conscious disregard of that risk. What that means in this context is that for Kim Potter's conduct to have been reckless disregard, she needed to have known she had the gun in her hand. Like maybe she thought she was reaching for a taser, but when her hand came out in front of her, she saw it was a gun and she decided to use it anyway even though she didn't believe there was a justification for deadly force. That's not what happened here. She never knew she had a gun in her hand. So she never knew she was creating a risk of death. So she never consciously disregarded a risk of death. So unless you can prove she knew she had the gun in her hand, there can't be reckless manslaughter here. Prosecutor Matthew Frank told the jury in rebuttal, the state does not need to prove that she knew she had a gun in her hand. That completely strips out the conscious disregard element for manslaughter. It makes manslaughter based on mere civil negligence. Mm. 
Right. That makes perfect sense that the jury then got confused and came to the conclusion that it did. So, but what about the, the performance of the defense attorney? Because old Earl Gray, uh, which is his actual name, um, really took a beating from lawyers I really respect. You know, it's not a partisan thing, it's just but people, I, I, he just got panned for not being more aggressive, in particular in his closing. Your thoughts? So I think Earl Gray is a fantastic lawyer. He's been practicing law forever. Uh, he's quite famous in the Minnesota legal circles and surrounding states. He's an outstanding criminal defense attorney. Uh, I would not hesitate to retain him if I were facing criminal charges. He did a great job throughout that trial, especially on cross-examination of state's witnesses. But that closing was far below his normal standard of work. It, it was kind of uh, disconnected. Um, it, he spent inordinate time arguing legal issues I thought were were weak or l- really incredible to a jury. For example, that Dante Wright's cause of death was his flight from the shooting scene as opposed to the bullet that went through his heart. I don't think he can sell that to a jury. No. And he didn't spend enough time on the core, what I perceive to be the core issue in this case, and that is the lack of evidence of conscious disregard of risk, which is the core requirement for reckless manslaughter. Yeah. Right, because we don't criminalize negligence. People make mistakes, even egregious one in this co- ones in this country, and we don't throw the criminal law at them. And that's why, again, I blame Keith Ellison for this. Um, I will say there's been some bizarre reaction, Andrew. I'll, I'll give you one example. Cardi B decided to tweet out because there was the weird smiling mugshot of Kim Potter. She went back and had a second mugshot. And Cardi B tweets out saying, it's funny to me how her cries seem so fake, but her smile so genuine, seems so genuine. Hashtag, it was never a mistake. She goes on, she's smiling because she only got manslaughter, also because she don't have to fake it, and she can live in her truth. Her truth is, yeah, I killed him, and what? That's the truth she's been wanting to say, but had to act like she was sorry. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. There's why do these morons feel the need to comment at all on on these verdicts? They, they're never right. They're never helpful. Um, you know, I hate to quote Laura Ingram, but to paraphrase, just shut up and sing because you you just like you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I think she's just a professional mean girl. <laughs> That's what she does for a living. So it, I wouldn't expect anything more of her. I don't know. It's one of those things where wasn't she the one who was talking about her cousin's testicle? Was that or was that it? or no? But it was that it was Nicki Minaj actually was a, another big singer. So um, in any event, I think Cardi B should educate herself a little bit more on what actually happened in this case because nobody argued, nobody argued that Kim Potter shot Dante Wright intentionally or right. wanted him to die. Uh, all right, Andrew Branca, such a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Megan. Anytime. And to our audience, do you want to learn about self-defense? Andrew's got a very cool offering for you. He's teaching his Law of Self-Defense advanced class on Saturday, January 8th. So you can learn more about it. You can learn the law yourself um, and go by going to lawofselfdefense.com. And it's very clear how you register and how you participate. And you can ask him questions and all this fun stuff. So highly recommend that.